Ready to start your ESG journey? Get going today with Social Suite, and you could start reporting publicly in 30 days. With investor pressure mounting and regulations just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start your ESG reporting. Social Suite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress with fast, simple, and affordable software. Create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite has helped almost 100 micro to small cap companies report on ESG, with some starting their baseline report in under 60 minutes and reporting publicly within 30 days. ESG is a lot easier than you think, and you're probably already doing it. So take your sustainability reporting to the next level with measurable progress. Start your ESG journey today with Social Suite, an ESG software company for micro to small caps. Visit socialsuitehq.com. That's social, S-U-I-T-E-H-Q.com to learn more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Jay Gardina, President, CEO, and Chairman of Adamus One Corp. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is J-E-W-L on NASDAQ. Adamus One Corp, the original lab-grown diamond company, as it states on their website, is a high-quality diamond manufacturer based in the United States. The company, again, according to their website, is the originator of the chemical vapor deposition CVD process for diamond and a direct company lineage back to Apollo diamond, as well as they claim on their website that their lab grown diamonds are identical to the best mined diamonds optically, physically, and chemically. Adamus one had recently participated in our conference, the planet microcap showcase Vegas. And following some of the conversations I had with folks that met with Jay in a one-on-one meeting and post-presentation, I wanted to better understand how Adamus One differentiates themselves from their peers, as well as their business strategy, launching a consumer-focused lab-grown diamond brand, opportunities beyond the consumer for lab-grown diamonds, Adamus's path to prof- profitability, and where he would like to see the company in three to five years. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Jay Gardina, President, CEO, and Chairman of Adamus One Corp. Jay, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? You know, just I think finally recovered from Vegas. You know, we, I, I make that joke because you were also you were in Vegas with us at uh, at our conference, Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas. You know, I heard uh, I, I got some interesting feedback from some investors that I highly respect. So I, I you know, when uh, when I got the email saying, "Hey, you were available to do this," I was like, "Let's let's go." I want to find out more because you know we'll get into it a little bit more as as we dig into the story here. But you know, I wanted to start off. Uh, this is my first question to ask everybody on here. You know, can you give us that one line that best describes Adamus One? Sure. I mean, if we look at the the best line for Adamus One. I think Adamus One is the original lab-grown diamond company. It sums it up in in one line. All right. So I want to dig into that, and and it's I was actually really happy you said that is the first time because 
part of why I wanted to interview you is because you are the second lab grown diamond company that I've interviewed over the many years of doing this. You know, everybody can probably imagine in the microcast space, I was Charles and Colvard for many years, you know, and so right. the company's, you know, just went public in December, 2022. So some might be asking, wait, you guys are the original lab grown diamond. Co-? Like, wait, help me understand that. So can, can you give us a little bit of background? Sure. We look at, you know, we, we claim that we're the original diamond, lab-grown diamond company for a handful of reasons. First off, you look at the provenance. So the assets that we purchased um, included a 36 patent portfolio. Those 36 patents are geared around, obviously, lab-grown diamond, all the aspects and processes to grow the lab-grown diamonds themselves by CBD, chemical vapor deposition, which very simply means turning a gas into a solid. So in that asset package were the original foundational patents. So anybody in this industry that's growing by CBD, which is probably 90% of the industry, is infringing on our patents. The base patent says, look, anyone that's growing over 20 microns thick, which is literally like a sixth of the thick as a postage stamp kind of thing, any diamond substrate is infringing on our base patents. And then the process patents we do on top of that, it was Dr. Linares in the early 90s when he developed the patents was, his mindset was always, how do we Teflon coat the company at the time, which was Apollo. How do we Teflon code Apollo that no matter where we go or where the patents go or other the industry goes, we're secured in the processes that we do and we can always continue to do business. And that was a very smart mindset. So when I say we're the original lab-grown diamond company, first of all, it's because we bought the patent. So in a sense, by provenance, we are the original lab-grown diamond company. Um, as well as when we talk about new age of lab-grown diamond companies, we're really in the forefront, especially from an American standpoint, in the forefront of, from a technology standpoint, and then where we see ourselves, you know, 12, 24, 36. We have a pretty good game plan. Absolutely. You know, so for you, I mean, you're you're also the founder of the company. You know, what was your reasoning to want to get into the, the lab-grown diamond game? That's a great question. I don't even know anymore. No, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you look at me historically, what I do is I look for distressed assets. Number one, and I look at for distressed assets in a category that I think is a really emerging category, has a lot of potential. When I did Ammo Inc., you know, we looked at the ammo because it was, you talk about an antiquated, you know, uh, category. You know, there's there was no new technology in the ammunition sector for almost, you know, 80 years when we when we, we took over those assets. And there was no marketing. You know, when I, we, I did, first thing I did was change all the packaging, change our marketing, go in stores do, you know, floor wraps, shelf talkers, end caps. No one even heard of that in the industry. Like, what are you talking about? I go into Bass Pro, I go, can we put an end cap here and do, you know, a, a floor wrap? And they're like, you know what I mean? So I look at how do we take over the assets? I put my management team around them. And then we want to be as disruptive as possible and grow a company as quickly as possible as well. So when we looked at the, the diamond category, this is, you know, early 2019, late 2018, there was, you know, my friends were like, you're crazy. You know, that's a synthetic diamond. It's never going to take off. And this is really when you saw De Beers and the Mine Diamond groups pushing hard against this industry. Kind of sandbox is saying they're synthetic. Well, look, we grow a diamond as a diamond. You know, we've tested our diamonds. It's every single criteria we measure equal to a lab, a mine diamond, if not better. So our diamonds we produce are chemically, physically, and optically identical to a mine diamond. The only difference is one comes out of the earth and one comes out of a safe environment we call a factory, right? So I got in this and I hunted the company. I looked at the assets and I said, this is this is where I think the future is going to go, not only from a jewelry standpoint, from also from a technology standpoint. 
you have to understand diamonds are obviously the hardest substance on earth, right? So that's great for drill bits, cutting blades, scalpels. It's also the best optics. So where does that go? Solar panels, right? Diffraction, refraction of light, number one, as well as the number one thermal conductor in the world, which is great because as we see the need and the necessity for supercomputers coming online, you know, with the development of AI, et cetera, we know that diamonds are almost five times higher thermal conductivity than silicone. So now when you start taking that as a first a thermal coupler for chips, and then now we're working on how to create a, a computer chip on a full diamond substrate. That's when it really takes off. We look at the jewelry industries here. You're at almost a 10 times TAM level when it comes to technology for lab grown See, diamonds. that's where I really wanted to get to in our interview today. Because, you know, look, in doing when I heard lab grown diamond, Julie, like from my experience, and, you know, from the struggles that I know in, you know, some other companies and just attacking the jewelry space on the lab grown side, I'm like, you know, why? Why? You know, like that is, you know, from a marketing perspective, how much you're caught, like it's, it is, it's a, it's a nightmare, like to, to just I, carve into that space a little bit. So when you talk about the tech side, that's interesting. Right. You know, it's funny because you brought that up and this is what I tell everybody. When you have a new category or a new product within a category, it's extremely expensive. <laughs> when you're first to market, you're first to, to not fail, first to run out of money. Right. No, so, you get your cue. The yeah. like, I mean, it's absolutely. You go. You have to create awareness for the product, which is expensive, right? You know, look at me, look at me. So you have to do marketing, go out there hard with PR, and get attention to the product or the category. And then once you get the attention, you gotta you gotta educate them, right? So you have costs to bring them to the product and understand it to get it, and then you have to educate them. Extremely expensive, and re-educate and re-educate, right? It's not a synthetic. We don't make perfect diamonds. We're not cubic zirconia. We're not moissanite. We're an actual diamond. We get graded by GIA, IGL, EGL, all the same qualities and characteristics of mine diamond. We have the same criteria and threshold that we have to meet, right? And then once you create and educated them, then it's you have to create demand. Not an easy thing to do. And then once you have that demand, how are you going to service the demand, right? So then you got to go, I have to have a way there, you know, e-commerce is tough. How do you get traffic to e-commerce? How do you get in brick and mortars when they're pushing back against you? Because they look at this as the devil when it originally came in. Like this is going to erode, you know, our market price for lab or for mine diamonds, et cetera. So all those those four different variables are extremely expensive. I say it's like trying to get an, an entrance onto a freeway. You can only pave it so far. Well, where we are right now for diamonds, especially is like, well, guess what? It's paved to the freeway and now we're on the freeway and it's time to run. And you look at whether it's Diamond Foundry, all the groups up to this point, Sio, you know, Charles, you know, all those guys, they all had a little piece that they paid for along the way. Now we get to reap those rewards and the benefits. So sometimes it's not best to be first to market, right? So it was an uphill battle in the first way they did because the lowest hanging fruit is jewelry, right? That's the lowest hanging fruit with the highest dollar output. Now that it's really established and people understand how to really manufacture these lab-grown diamonds, now you look at the tech sector, where the tech sector prior was this much, now that's a much more cost-effective medium, it goes like this. So all of a sudden your world of, of exposure of what you can sell to and develop with the lab-grown diamond product expands exponentially. So let's talk a little bit about the business. As you said, you know, jewelry is the low-hanging fruit right now. That's where the company is primarily primarily selling your product. Yep. So currently right now we, we sell, you know, host, on a wholesale basis, finished diamonds and finished goods. 
Okay. Our goal is, I mean, everyone knows, like I complete my ecosystem, right? I want to have from seed to sale and I want to own every aspect within between that. Because look, especially as a new company, your priority on someone's list is usually down here. You want to be at the top priority list. So right, there's preferential treatment. You don't sit in a queue. You're not at the bottom of the queue. Your pricing structure is better, right? Your turnaround, quality, everything for me. So we want to make sure that we control where we are on the priority line. And obviously, if you own all different aspects of that, you're the top of the food chain for yourselves. So we want to make sure we own all of that. So currently, we sell wholesale diamonds. By the end of the summer, we September 1st, we launch El Jolie, which is our high-end luxury brand of jewelry goods. So we launch eljolie.com. And then we put all of, we've been developing, building out all of our inventory for that. We want to make sure that we're Van Cleef, Louis Vuitton, Cartier quality of, of, of jewelry or better. And we've been successful at that. Our, our diamonds, you saw some of them, you know, I brought to the, the micro cap, you know, Planet Microcap in Vegas. And everyone, when they look at it, when you feel the quality, it's completely different. And for us, there's not a lot of American companies in this space right now. Very few. Right, especially American companies with any horsepower. So we look at this as I'm a branding guy. I mean, merchandise and branding guy, and I build brands. So for us to establish ourselves as the number one brand, you know, domestically and worldwide, isn't that difficult? So we look to go in this market extremely aggressively. So even though we're selling only jewelry right now, in parallel, we're building out everything to become get in the tech space and really take over the tech space as well. Right. Because I mean, that I, this is just my opinion, because that that's what's really interesting. It seems like because, I'm you know, look, the jewelry is going to be one thing. It seems like there's, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I had your presentation up actually from the, the webcast, you know, and I, I see the TAM on that side. And look, I, LVMH is right. making investments in it. Right. Like, OK, that there's clearly, you know, some of the bigger players in jewelry are also recognizing like, OK, lab-grown diamonds, there is a potential utility here, you know, not just on the consumer side, but maybe something else here. So why why is it that there is no other American exposure? I mean, I, like I said, Charles Culver, they're American-based, but, you know, like other other than them on the Moissanite side, you know, why is it relatively not so much exposure in the U.S. versus some of the global companies now uh, entering the space? So when we look at the domestic U.S. market, you know, the, the recent analytics just came out and 42% of all diamond sales in America are lab-grown diamond right now. They say by the end of the summer, it's going to be a 50-50, which is a big watershed moment. You saw the Wall Street Journal that just came out like three weeks back. And they said, look, from a global standpoint, lab-grown diamonds 2021 didn't even represent 1%. Right now, it's just under 14% globally in sales. They're saying, they also came out in the article and said, look, one in three engagement rings right now worldwide are lab-grown diamonds. So it's a big market. Even though we say, look, the industrial sector is much larger, the, the market, especially, everything starts in the U.S. and then it goes east. So we develop and how to market it, how to build it, and then we geo-retarget that and re-evolve it for different marketplaces, India. China, throughout Asia, throughout Europe, which we're working on right now. But when you ask about U.S. marketplace, why there's no players in it, again, it, we, you can go back to early in the conversation where you're like building the category, category awareness, category education, right? Demand for the category, how to, how to, how to fulfill that demand, right? And supply. Those are everyone paid and everyone came early in the market and that's where they ran their horsepower. And now they're like, eee, what are we going to do? And it's a, it's an expensive uphill battle. You know how many times can you go to the till? And the other the other flip is there's a massive technology barrier of entry to get this. 
into the system. It's not like someone can go buy a reactor and go, hey, I'm in business. It's very difficult. Look, we look at, you know, Adamus, all of our reactors are proprietary. Our recipes are proprietary. And even to the day, constantly we're R&D. How do we better our, our, make a more efficient, you know, system where we burn less energy, right? Even though we're nuclear energy and have no carbon footprint, we lower our cost by the least amount of energy we use, right? How do we make it more efficient? How do we better off it? And then from our recipes, how do we make a better diamond out of the box constantly, right? Bigger, better color, better clarity, right? This is what we always strive. So we always R&D. And then in parallel, we R&D for everything for the technology sector. So it, it's a difficult entry to get in this market, and especially in the U.S. The U.S. isn't cheap. No. You know, and, and fortunately, we're in a good position right now, like I said, where it's paved to get on the freeway. Now we just hop on the freeway. So all that cost of building everything out, we didn't have to bear those costs. Got it. So let, let's talk a little bit more about also the IP portfolio, because you mentioned earlier in the interview that 90 percent, I, I think you said, right, it was about 90 percent of other lab grown diamonds right. are potentially infringing on your technology. So tell us what's the uh, what's the lifespan of those IP of, of that IP portfolio? So it depends. I mean, like our initial one is public domain almost right now, but we have okay. I mean, supporting on and on and on. And that's if we look at the patent portfolio breakdown, it's 28 domestic, eight international patents. Got it. Um, so for us, we look at the course, but it, to me, if people are infringing, it is what it is. I'm not litigious. I'm not going after them, but it puts us in an extremely good position down the road, whereas we see the patent wars ensuing, right? Because De Beers type 2A and blah, 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 they've gone back and forth and WD, et cetera, that we know that if De Beers wants to perfect their patent portfolio, they got to buy us. Just the reality, right? If someone wants to go into business and not have to worry about getting attacked, they can buy us. Right. So it puts us in an advantageous position down the road. I'm not looking to sell right now down, you know, a couple of years from now. We're up and running at the new facility with the 100 reactors, blah, 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 blah. And our top line, our cap structure is a little higher. It's more money for all of our investment. Right. For all Absolutely. investors and shareholders, it's it's a bigger return for them. And that's that's always a goal. I mean, right. everything as as a public CEO is your goal is improve quarter over quarter. You're always looking for top line, increase your top line revenues, increase your bottom line revenues, right? If you don't have the ability to increase the top, make sure you're constantly increasing those bottom line revenues and always increasing your shareholder value. No no doubt. That's that's always your mindset. That's your job as a, as a CEO of a pubco. Other than that, it's always shareholder value, shareholder value. I tell everybody, going public isn't the easiest thing. You look, I used to be a private company CEO and I could whiz around that. And my first public company, I didn't know anything. I didn't know the difference between a Q and K. I got pummeled. I'd made every mistake a green CEO could possibly make, but I did on the OTC. And after two years, I pretty much learned a lot, right? And I I, I, I pat myself and I go, now I understand this industry. Now Pubco, I can understand how to run Pubco. So you have private call and Pubco, right? So now I understand. But once you go public, once your IPO is done, or if you're up list, whatever you're doing, you have to understand that at Best case scenario, your your day breaks into thirds, right? Or your time allotment for the month, where a third of it is always shareholder value, dealing with share, going out broker dealers, you know, going out and talking and doing your road shows, constantly getting more eyeballs on your stock, raising money all the time, whatever you're going to do for your capital needs going forward. And then a third of it is running your business, right? So for me, I'm very fortunate. I have a great team. C-level management team and under all the way down. And my team knows like, look, I have to focus on this for the company right now. 
We have acquisitions. We have whatever it's going to be down the road. This is what I'm focused on. Here's our directive. Here's an issue. Here's what we have to do. Here's everybody's marching orders. I expect you to come back to me and go, I completed it. It's great. Or if there's an issue, you come to me and go, how do we figure this out? And we sit down in a group and round table and figure it out. Right? So that's your job as a CEO of a public company. It's not the day-to-day operations anymore. That, that minimizes down to this because you have so many other things on your plate that you have to do. For sure. And, and look, there's, there's always, there's, there's a million different ways to skin that cat, right. And to cool. be public company CEO, right. You could be how you describe it. You can be more on the operator side, you know, like there's, there's tons of different ways. So, you know, whatever, if, what you think works best for you, you know, you got to run with it. Right. It depends how old the company is too. Right. When you talk sure. about the operator, side, et cetera, sure. and where you are in the market. And like, this is a very challenging market right now that we're in. So you have to make sure that you're focusing on the market, that you're working, that you're you're on the boards, you know, you're making sure that your social media feeds, that you're putting everything out on the street where people understand where the company is. You're just on a dark phase. There's so many intricate things you have to understand and know. If you don't have knowledge as a public CEO, it's a very difficult thing to learn. You have to, especially as a startup, you have to know how to roll up your sleeves and really bear down and get through it. You can't look at your stock like you're a crackhead. You'll drive yourself insane. Right. You're I like, mean, you're I only mean, as happy as your stock is green. I mean, especially, I mean, especially <laughs> with all due respect in your case too, like that, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's the, the t- talk, let's talk about that experience. I mean, look, sure. the, you know, you did IPO five, the company's trading now under, you know, recording this on a, uh, was this uh when uh, was it Tuesday? Like yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. I love 80 cents. It's relaxing. <laughs> you know, it's Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. You know, like like we said, it's five dollar IPO. You know, now it's under under a buck, around 80 cents. You know, what is that? Ex- don't make me feel even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Before, sorry. So look, I tell everybody, you always look at when you're trying to raise money or when you list. And I always tell everybody, Thanksgiving to the second week in January, don't do try to do anything in the public markets, right? Everyone's selling their stock off for the end of the year, blah, blah, blah. We listed December 10th, right? Which is smack dab in the middle, right? Which you couldn't ask to, to, to go public at a worse time in a, the hardest market ever. You have to understand we were, I think we were the second or the third IPO post the moratorium that they did. Remember HKD and all the Chinese stocks came out $7 to $2,300. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to let you guys go. But it was to get public was, this was the most difficult company I've had and most challenging to get public because of the, where the markets were. It was very difficult. You had the SEC and NASDAQ trying to figure out how do we control these the new IPOs from coming in running crazy. And that was the biggest concern. We don't want high concentration in the IPO, which standard, you know, you, we take companies public 15, 20, 30 people in the IPO itself, not including, you know, obviously, you, have, you know, your, your 460 shareholders need blah, 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 blah to qualify. But it, now it's, you know, at 500, they're like, you don't have any shareholders. In the IPO, buyers in the IPO, you're like, I don't have enough with 500. Like, nah, you're nah, you're not there. Like, what? You know, in the old days, that was unheard of. So it it's a much more challenging when you flip the switch in your IPO and you go live and you're effective. So it's a much more challenging marketplace. And you know, things that worked a year ago, six months ago, it's different. The retail market in in America is very. It, it's been beat down. You have to understand. A year ago, or a year and a half ago, or two years ago, you had first of all, you came out of COVID. People were sitting at home. You looked at Sorry, someone just calling it. Um, you look at the uh, whether it's Bitcoin, right? All the crypto yeah. cryptos are running up like this. The NFTs. So people were constantly looking for meme stocks, right? What's in that? You know, AMC. Where are we going to go? Whatever it was, 
everyone was looking for the next meme stock because they thought, they, oh, it's a short squeeze, so it's going to run. So people, every day they woke up and they had 500 or 1,500 or 2,000 or 5,000 to put into the market. And whoever screamed the most, whoever was the loudest wheel on right, the message right. board, which Reddit, whoever they were following, right? Or their influencers that were around and aren't around anymore, right? So whoever was telling them where to go or what they liked as a stock, that's what they were funneling into. Well, now those kids and that, that group that was at 5,000 and under retail, they don't have any money anymore. Right. We all know what happened to the crypto, the cryptocurrency, all that pummeled, right? FTX, whoever you want to blame on it, whatever it is. So we look at that was a house of falling cards. That's done. Yeah. And then you look at the influencers, and I'm not going to name any guys. They're off the market, to say the least. You know, they all got arrested in, in uh, end of November. So we look at, you know, the markets changed and how you get out there and, you know, get the word on the street about your stock, right, is what you want to do. You know, we have core is our IR company. They do a great job, right? Like interviews right. like this. I need to make sure I get out there and talk to whether it's people through LinkedIn. You need to make sure you're very proactive out there. And look, we start here and build a base, build and do it right. So you start building a strong base that love the story and the company and they believe in the team and they like the category. And you just go back to basics and roll up your sleeve. It win, win with base hits. So now we look at where our stock is. We believe we're at the floor. So now it's just continuing those base hits and, and growing and getting more exposure. I get on the road. You know, I do the road show. Hey, how you doing? Here's where we are. You know, here's the company. Here's the category. And and let it organically run and grow. Yeah. So I so appreciate that. Look, you know, it's 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 actually a question I ask everybody on here. You know, it's no easy job being a public company CEO. Like you, you have to you know, as you said, you know, three, four, five, sometimes a hundred hats, you know, you never know. But getting getting back to the company itself, you know, as you said, now you've been doing the dog, but you're just in Vegas. You know, this is a question I ask everybody on here, but you know, what have investors, what what would you say are some of the more frequently asked questions that you've been getting, you know, now as a newly public company, you know, you put out the queue in February, you know, people got kind of the first taste of like, okay, this is where the company's at. All right. You know, this is, okay, right. grow so, the company. you know, like what, what are, what are some of those questions that you're getting asked and maybe we can handle it, maybe answer a few of them here. Sure. So, I mean, we look at where the questions that we get targeted, right? What, where did, generally it's more category, the understanding the, the market, understanding lab grown diamonds, you know, the first thing, oh, it's a, it's a, it's like cubits are going to perfect. So we feel those questions. Those are the number ones. Because we're a new company and we're just getting our skis under us, there's not a lot of financial questions. There's not like where you're modeling. There's not a lot of analyst coverage. I said, look, I always tell everybody, I don't want analyst coverage now. Give me a year. Let me get let me get going. We just started, right? Let me get out of the out of the, the starting blocks. Let me get my pace up and let us go. And then let us show you what we can do. Look at where we are, where we started, and look where we are in a year. And you're like, that was our game plan. And we're gonna keep continuing on that pace. But we look at 90% of the questions are always about the, the category right now, whether it's who's your competition, right? What's your production? How are you guys, can you keep up with demand? Are you selling your product? How are you selling your product? Where is it going? Where are you guys looking to go in the future? Those are the questions I, I generally get right now. It's not financial stuff. Everyone's like, eh, we're, we're at too early of a stage to dig through the financials. No doubt. You know, quick, quick capital allocation question because this was I, I found this fascinating um I think I was just going through the the company's um uh, uh news and then I, I saw in February earlier this year that you uh you announced that you initiate up to a seven and a half million share repurchase plan you know on the heels of um you know you know non-profitable you know first quarter as, as a public right. 
love to hear the reasoning behind that. You know, why, why, why sure. did the repurchase plan was so early? So a couple things. So when our stock is low, I mean, it's a great time for the company to buy back stock and retire the stock. So what that does increases our shareholder value, right? The less fewer shares are in the flow, we increase the share values is one thing. I went in there myself and bought stock personally and did form fours on it as well. So I think it's important for the company to be active in the market as much as possible, right? So we looked at that as a good opportunity to go in and and it's a good show of faith. Like, look, we're going to support the stock from a corporate standpoint as, as much as we can from a legal standpoint. Right. And that's 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 really important. It's a good it's a good show of faith when the company does it, especially when you're CEO. Like I invest in the company. I've invested in this company. I have millions in, in, in invested in the company. And I think it's a, I believe in it. Right. If you don't invest in your own company, there's a problem. Right. You're like you're 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 it's good for you to go to raise money from other people, but you don't believe in it enough, especially if you have capital to at least put something in that's affordable from your bank account. Very good. All right. Just want to quickly handle sure. that. I figured that was probably the answer. So, you know, another question I have for you, you know, again, newly public company, company's relatively new, 20, 2018, 2019. You know, what what did when you were assessing the landscape in the lab grown diamond industry, and then also with Adamus and just anything having to do with the company and the industry itself, what was a, a, a something that you thought about previously? having to do with company industry that then once you dug in, you're like, wait, that was completely off on that. Right. I mean, it, it depends. I mean, you look at what's the genesis of why we came into this industry. Sure. You're like I like we talked about, you know, previously, it's like I look at this category with a lot of potential from a jewelry standpoint, as well as from a tech standpoint. Right. So and it, you, you call it the diamond in the rough, you know, no pun intended. But it had, it had a, we know that this is a sparkly industry, that we know it can take off. So that was one thing. The challenges, you know, are more in the public sector right now, right, in the public markets, than the challenges as far as the category, because the category has blown up. When we went there and I did my initial TAMs and we have our group and our team go, okay, here's a performance based on this and criteria and where we understand the marketplace is. We've every time we readdress where the TAM is, it's if we predicted where it was going to be in 2023, we're four times what it was. It's out of control right now. And you know, we look at for a handful of reasons. Post-COVID, everybody sustainable or a sustainable mankind was in every the forefront of everybody's mind, especially that younger generation, especially that 15 to 30. Look, I'm old. Your generation is like, shit, we're in trouble. We got to be here for at least another 50 or 80 years. I'm like, I'm gone in 50 years. It's not a chance, right? So it's a little different mindset. We're like, what are we going to do to protect our earth? Lab-grown diamonds. Obviously, look, we're not digging holes in the earth. We're not disrupting, you know, the ecosystems. We're, we're not, you know, displacing water. So it's a completely different mindset of, look, our carbon footprint is like this, like we talked about, right? Nuclear energy, blah, blah, blah. So we're not disrupting. We're trying to be as eco-friendly as possible. We're a true ESG company, not just an optic standpoint. And then if you look at the social aspects, huge social aspects, right? Everyone saw the movie Blood Diamond. You come to my factory and I say, look, we don't have 11-year-olds sitting there with AK-47s that had hammer pickaxe and go dig through the ground until you find a diamond or cut fingers off, right? Completely opposite of that. So we're eco-friendly, social-friendly, as well as we offer a great value for what you want. If your budget's 
10,000 for an engagement ring or for, for some type of, you know, jewelry for your loved one. Or we look at if you're 10, you're going to go in the store and they go, here's 10 grand you can get for mine diamond. Here's what you can get in lab grown diamond for, for 10 double. Right. So it gives a great value proposition to everybody coming in the store. And look, when's the last time you saw a 20 year old going out and buying a full length fur coat? It doesn't exist anymore. Just the mindset of this younger generation and kind of the world in general has really shifted and changed. Like I said, to be, you know, how to be sustainable or a sustainable mankind. Very good. So what would you say then, you know, and, and this is also a question I ask everybody on here as well, you know, wanting to get both sides of, of the I coin. feel very common because you keep asking the same questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. No, 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 no. It's, it, you know, I, I couch it differently for each other. <laughs> but, you know, in your opinion, what, what would you say are are some of the company's downside risks then when, you, when you're looking out and, you know, as things kind of exist right now? I mean, there's always downside risks to everything. Right. I mean, it's, you execution. know, l- lack of capital, lack of execution, shift in the markets. We try to limit the risks as much as possible. If we can mitigate those risks. I always tell everybody, if you're going to go through something, first of all, go something with extremely high margins, which we have extremely high margins in this category, as well as try to make it as recession proof as possible. So if you look at my history, usually every one of my companies was pretty much recession proof. As we see the markets and recession and inflation started kind of teetering around that precipice of which ways it's going to go and everyone's trying to counter it, right? So it doesn't fall into, into a bad recession. We know that because of our diamonds are a great value add, people are still getting married, right? People are, are still have anniversaries. They still have birthdays. They have graduations. They have heart's sake moments. We know that they're, those still exist. Now when you can go, well, I can save money, have a great alternative. Right. And I'm, I'm doing what I think to be social and eco friendly. And I just saved a ton of money that it puts us in a great position to really go forward, as well as we talked about, you know, 42 percent of the, the diamond market in America right now is lab grown diamonds in India. They're this much. So we start developing over there and grow it there. Right. We start planting those seeds right now. Same in, in China. We start planting those seeds around the globe. You know, and that's when we really said so. Even if the U.S. market drops because they're in a recession or not a recession, we look to make sure that we always have planted seeds so we can grow everything else to counter that. Very good. Another question I have to ask you as well on here, you know, what, in your opinion, what is that path to profitability then, you know, as you continue to move forward here? Um, I mean, there's a handful of paths to profitability for us. You know, we just flipped the switch to all of our reactors are at full capacity right now. At full capacity, profitable. Not even, not even a concern, right? And I tell you, we're profitable without growth. Like if I look, you go, I want to expand. Well, we need to build up the new factory, right? That we lease. Well, that I use. Here's my cash. I start pushing over here. So out of the proceeds, I start building that out. So we look at we're profitable, but we're using our profits to grow the company, and that's always a mindset. Look, I, I you'll never see me at one of my companies be complacent and just go, we're happy right here. I'm really good. Never. I want to grow. I always go, how do I grow the market cap? How do I increase our shareholder value? That's always in my mind. Like we have a game plan. So we know that we'll have full capacity, right? We're building out, like I said, our jewelry line for LHLE. Selling direct to consumer, our margins go even higher, right? And we'll market ourselves to be the number one brand and the only luxury brand. And then we'll hit high-end luxury, mid, low, wholesale, wholesale rough. So we want to make sure that we've acquired and we've, we've 
pushing through on every category and distribution channel. We want to make sure whether it's we organically development or we acquire that, right? And if we look for acquisitions, like we said, it's always top and bottom line. How do we bolt on something that's going to increase the shareholder value and increase our easeability and complete our ecosystem? So it's constantly looking of, is it easier for us to grow it or acquire it in all of our mindsets? So it's always smart acquisitions, right? Smart growth and organic growth. So we always have that balance of where do we go? You know, in terms of acquisition, I mean, you don't have to obviously name any companies that you're looking at right now because, you know, obviously we right. can't do that. But I mean, what what does um, an accretive acquisition look like for Adamas? You know, we look at, I mean, it's from a financial standpoint or from what we, what we target. Either one. So we look at from a target, like I said, I want to own seed to sale. So we grow our own diamonds, right? right? So, so we have the seed part taken care of. If we have a bigger demand than our current capacity, we'll reach out in the sector and maybe buy some rough diamonds, right? From vendors that we go, here's a quality that we demand, right? So we look at that. We want to make sure that we cut and polish. When I say cut and polish, we want to have a cut and polish facility where we finish our own goods, right? So our turnaround time goes from four to five months for cut and polish to six to eight weeks. Cash flow, right? So would that be a smart acquisition to own your own cut and polish? And what are the parameters around that? And then we look at different distribution. Is it smart for us to build our own e-commerce or to acquire an already established e-commerce with a lot of traffic, right? Then we can plug in our own jewelry lines. We can plug in our own diamonds that we grow, seed to sale, and then the profit margins even go higher where they're just buying finished goods. Now we manufacture the finished goods. So there's another one. And we, that's a balance of where we are. And then other distribution channels as well. So that was that would be the mindset because that's the true ecosystem where it's grown to where it's sold and everything in between. Very good. All right. And then so, oh, yeah, you know where sorry. we where you look at where you look at those, it's you acquire out of cash flow, right? Your own cash flow. If you know, if if we had to go to this market right now and raise money, right? If we did, I would just do straight debt. You know, because you look at straight debt and you it, the only reason you can have the ability to do straight debt if you're looking for acquisitions that have enough EBITDA to service the coupon, right? And making sure you're aggressively going out there. And don't forget, if you're taking debt on an infancy stage, your cost of capital is higher. Yeah. So you want to make sure that down the road, you can go, how do I reservice that debt and, and constantly bring my cost for that debt down? And that's always the mindset. 100%. All right. So my final question for you here, you know, in your, in your opinion, where do you want to see this company in three to five years? And what would you say are the inflection points that will get you there? Um, so for me, where do I see us in three to five years? Dominating the world, right? <laughs> From a lab grown standpoint, I want to make sure that we built and successfully built out ourselves as the number one and most known brand for lab grown diamonds from a jewelry standpoint, as well as we want to make sure that we lead and we set the tone and the pace in the tech sectors. That's always our goal, right? So from a financial standpoint, you know, I don't, my crystal ball broke in 1987. So I couldn't tell you where those, where it's going to be. And that's silly. I'm not going to throw a dart at a wall full of numbers and go, here's where we're going to be. So we want to make sure that no matter what, we have domination on all the distribution channels, right? That we've made sure that we successfully built ourselves as the brand. And I tell everybody, you know you're successful as a brand when you're the reference, like Kleenex. Do you ever go pass me a tissue? No, you pass me a Kleenex, right? Same type of scenario. 
So we want to make sure when everyone talks about diamonds, it's Adamas or El Jolie for jewelry. Whatever it is, you want to make sure that we've established ourselves as that known brand, right? And, and then you become an iconic reference. And that's always important. And from the tech sector, look, I mean, our, our COO is a gentleman by the name of Jerry McGuire. He's a 23 C-level executive analog champ. It's a good foot in the door for us. So we want to make sure that we're in the forefront and making sure that our products are utilized and we're we're in the forefront also from an IP standpoint, that we're in there in the trenches, making sure that we're working the best we can to utilize our product for the better of man from a technology standpoint. So Jay, in the second part of that question, what would you say are are some of those like key indicators that in your mind are like, okay, these are the catalytic events that will that takes us to that each next step along the way towards, you know, as you said, world domination. Right. We look at that. I mean, there's obviously number one, first you got to figure out how to complete your ecosystem. Right. Because at that point, you have the variables where you can evolve, pivot, and shift as needed. Always. Because then you go look, especially you're like, well, I need to turn around time here, and I'm gonna go for smaller diamonds, or we need to cut and polish this, or we need to cut them just for industrial. We have then we have that ability to shift and pivot. So you want to be in control of your ecosystem as much as possible. So you can take control of wherever it shifts or goes to the profits, whatever it goes, the wholesale drops, it doesn't matter. You have your retail, right? So you can shift evolve as needed, as need be. So making sure you get control of your ecosystem or, or massive catalysts, right? Cut and polish, distribution. And then technology, we want to make sure that we're out there partnering up with the right groups. Right. As many of the groups and for us, we only look for domestic U.S. manufacturers for, for the chips. We think that's important to keep our technology within the U.S. Right. So we want to make sure going forward that we partner up with the proper companies to make sure that we're always pushing in the direction we want to. All right. Well, Jay, we're there, man. With that, where can our audience go and find more information on Adamas? Well, there's a couple of places. I mean, <laughs> Adamas1.com. I mean, you go in the investor tab as well as Adamas One A D A M A S O N E dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, there's a there's a bevy of information there. And then obviously, you know, if you need to, you can always go to um, IR at Adamas One dot com. You can email us. Very good. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.